On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by the ESPN analyst and commentator, Lewis Riddick, as well as the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer. It was a week in which the NFL released its schedule on Thursday night, and I know everybody was looking forward to seeing when Tom Brady and Drew Brees will square off and when Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes will square off. But to me, the biggest story of the NFL schedule always was going to be the built-in loopholes and trapdoors and flexibility that the NFL implemented into the schedule in the event that this season needs to be delayed. And if you looked at it on its surface, there were a few little hints. And those were these, that in week two, anybody who's playing in week two has the same bye week later in the season, which means basically they could trade out week two for a bye later in the year. The league also did not schedule any divisional matchups in weeks three and four, which tells you that they have put less of a priority on those particular weeks in terms of if they have to lose them at a later point, although week three also happens to be the Monday night matchup of the Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs. And the league also set it up so that each team has two home games and two road games in the first four weeks. No exceptions. No one's got one and three or three and one. Everybody is two and two. But the biggest thing that the league did was something that it didn't even have to do. Something that just built into the schedule that was always going to be there that gives the league great flexibility and it revolves around Super Bowl 55, which currently is scheduled for Sunday, February 7th in Tampa. Now, I think everything in terms of delays really revolves around where they can move the Super Bowl to. And so in my various conversations with various people, I believe that the league can push the Super Bowl back as far back as, let's just say, mid-April. That's right, mid-April. And so there's Sunday... February 21st, Sunday, February 28th, Sunday, March 7th, Sunday, March 14th, Sunday, March 21st, Sunday, March 28th, Sunday, April 4th, Sunday, April 11th. Any of those Sundays, they could push back the season. So if they delayed the start of the season six weeks, six weeks, and had to move the Super Bowl back six weeks, that could mean that the Super Bowl would be in mid to late March. And that, to me, is the key element in the schedule this year, is what the league does with Super Bowl 55 and how it handles it. And the way I believe it could be done is that even if the league wanted to move back the season, the Super Bowl, five weeks, it could take the first five weeks and simply transplant them onto the back of the schedule. So week one would become week 18, and week two would become week 19, and week three would become week 20. And week four would become 21 and 522. And so on and so forth whenever they had to do it. So that basically any week, any week on the NFL schedule could be opening week. They're not going to juggle the schedule. The matchups in week five are the matchups in week five. The matchups in week eight are the matchups in week eight. Any one of them could serve as the opening week to the NFL season. And so Super Bowl 55 really is the secret sauce built into the schedule that gives the NFL flexibility for this season. And that, to me, is the event to watch. Now, I did speak to the head of the Super Bowl committee in Tampa, 
We had a conversation last week where I reached out to him to just go over the fact had the league and him discussed contingencies, had the league done any of that. And Rob Higgins, who's the head of the Super Bowl committee for Tampa, said that those conversations haven't occurred. And I believe they haven't occurred with him, but I believe they've occurred with other people because that, again, that possibility is the one that enables the NFL to be able to push back the start of the season, whatever it needs to do, three weeks, six weeks. Now, it gets to a certain point where you can't do it, but I would say up to, say, six, seven weeks, eight weeks maybe, and still be able to play a full 16-game season with Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. And I think there's a real chance that even though it's too early to say how any of this will go and it changes every week, and we don't know so much right now, but I still think there's a realistic chance that this will wind up being the latest Super Bowl that the NFL ever has had in a particular season. We'll see how that works out. Or are you staying up to date on all things sports? Make sure you're tuning in to ESPN Daily with Mina Kimes. Download and subscribe to ESPN Daily as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, one of our sponsors, AT&T. I know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit AT&T.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subject to change, restrictions apply. And now, for the first guest on this week's Adam Schefter podcast, ESPN analyst, Lewis Riddick. As we get started here, I guess I would ask, how are you doing during this quarantine life? <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's been it's been wild. Look, I, I think the biggest thing for me, Adam, has been, you know, from a family perspective, just making sure that the kids are all, you know, engaged in what they need to get done. You know, I have kids in elementary school, middle school, college. So just making sure that they have everything that they need to get done, what they need to get done, and then keeping them active, keeping them upbeat, getting outside a lot. You know, my wife does a tremendous job with making sure that they're all on task and getting done what they need to get done. And then for myself, you know, other than working and doing some of the stuff on TV, I think we both know that, you know, Peloton has been like a lifesaver for a lot of us, man. <laughs> that that has been like my go-to. So it, it's it's kind of cool doing that. And, and it's, uh, you know, it has its challenges, but I, th- I think we've all managed pretty well. Well, in a way, we're living similar lives in the sense that we're both used to, I guess, going to Bristol once a week, once every other week, whatever it may be, right? That yeah. hasn't happened, and we're home like everybody else. And you bring up Peloton, and I'm going to say this to you, Lewis. By accident, last August, I got the bike and the treadmill. I just thought, you know what? Uh Cold winter days in New York. There are going to be days where I don't want to venture out. I'm going to just get this, put this in my attic, and just have it. Didn't think anything of it. (laughs) Had I not done that, I would have lost my mind by now. I would have just lost my mind, right? Yeah, but you know what, what's cool about it, Adam. I think I think the coolest thing is look, all, all my kids do too now. I mean, it, it's the, the cool thing about it is that it keeps score, and I think the fact that it keeps score real time that's what brings out the competitor in all of us. I know, like for me, like I, I was talking to Booger about this, McFarland, 
like he, he he talks about how he's like literally like the night before he's like i'm hydrating i'm preparing like it's a game and i wow. do the same thing man like the way i eat and everything to get on there before i get on there because i want you know, you always want to try and pass your your previous highs depending upon what kind of class you took and stuff and i mean it really is it really is something that's really healthy for you mentally and physically and i mean i'm i'm totally totally into it i, I love it i love it and it, it seems like it's kind of it's taken off i mean athletes are tweeting about it i mean basketball players golfers football players yeah. i mean everybody's doing it so it's been it's been one of the good things to come out of something that obviously isn't so good overall yeah you mentioned going outside a lot you get you're what are you doing outside these days you know i mean my son is a big big basketball nut okay mm-hmm. and he's only nine but he loves it and he plays on his travel teams here locally and he's honestly i mean he's pretty damn good so he that's wow. all he wants to do outside of out he has no and no interest in football none zero zilch <laughs> could care less about football but all he wants to do is play basketball so we have you know basketball court in the driveway so i'm out there every day with him whether it's playing one-on-one or playing horse. Or, you know, I've got a pretty, I mean, a pretty nice setup here as far as the yard and stuff is concerned. So I'll just take walks around the house, around the neighborhood, especially on those on those nice sunny days where, where you know, there's people out walking around in the neighborhood. And I, I think that's just good. I think it's just good for your mindset. So and I'm probably, I probably get outside more now than I would have had we been on a regular work schedule, to be honest with you. And so it's just, it's just one of those things that you're just doing things to try and, try and take care of yourself mentally and physically but i think like so i shoot basketball i mean i play basketball like every day now outside so it, it, it's just been good it, you just kind of do what you got to do you know what's interesting to me also in talking to friends and people across the country and our work colleagues across the country that work for teams you're in new jersey i'm in new york i look across the league and i feel like with this situation I'm looking at it at a different lens than I think somebody in Arizona or Nevada or Florida or Texas is looking at it. Like I got a friend in Texas that I spoke to last week and he's like, life is kind of like normal here. And I'm like, life is not normal here. And when we project that forward, I wonder how something like that is going to impact the football season where teams in New York, the Jets and Giants, the Eagles maybe, the Patriots maybe might be living life in this pandemic. Although again, New York is, I, I just think New York is its own category, its own category. And these other, and these other teams aren't. And life might be very normal for the Denver Broncos or Arizona Cardinals or Las Vegas Raiders or a team out West. Do you yeah, see that impacting um, the season at all? Yeah. You know, it, it, that's a great point. And I think, you know, people have been talking about that and I've been, I've been, hearing people talk about that as it relates to colleges too, right? I mean, because within a conference, there are teams whose local situations are much different than other teams in their same conference. So, I mean, how is that going to play itself out? But yeah, there's no doubt that that makes things interesting as far as, you know, the Jets, the Giants, the Patriots, Eagles, Redskins, Ravens. I mean, all those teams that are in that Northeast, very densely populated corridor, they have some interesting decisions and interesting factors they have to deal with as opposed to, like you said, like Arizona, like Denver, like Vegas. And you just wonder how you're going to be able to have that all work when it comes to playing a normal, uninterrupted schedule. And 
But I mean, that, that's obviously something for the league to have to try and figure out yeah. in conjunction with all the health experts. But yeah, it, it makes everything very, very interesting, to say the least, over the next three or four months about whether or not the league's going to, I mean, the season's going to actually start on time and whether we're going to get full 16 games in. And yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we living here in South Jersey, and obviously you up in New York, where you are. I mean, you, I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're right in the hot zone. This whole Northeast corridor is just, I mean, there's people on top of people, and it and it is one of those situations where if you do talk to people on the West Coast, or you do talk to people who are in those areas where it's much more spread out, they seem to have a much different mentality oh, yeah. about this entire thing, and it's and that that that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge of the people at the very tops of this country. That's the challenge they have to figure out as far as how do, how do you how do you get this all together, man? So everybody kind of like stays on the right path, and there aren't people kind of in a way doing their own thing. And it's not not just sports, but just in society overall. And that's the yeah. tough that's the tough part of this. There's a medical component to it. There's a financial component to it. There's a societal component. I mean, there are all sorts of layers to this. It is about as big an issue as I can remember our country ever facing. And it's also interesting, like last week, we had Todd McShay on the podcast, and he was talking about his experience battling the coronavirus. And I was looking at some mm-hmm. of the comments, and I couldn't believe, like some people, they, they just think this whole thing is overdone, a hoax, um, mm-hmm. not real, um, get on with your life. And I think that that mm-hmm. goes back to my initial point of me living in New York and viewing it in a certain lens where, again, I've had cousins with this three four cousins with this my nieces had it my parents good friend passed away my college roommate's mother passed away the hospitals where my daughter was born where i've been treated are overrun right now with covid mm-hmm. cases and so mm-hmm. i don't think that's happening in other places and i'm and i'm trying yeah. to keep my 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 spirit and energy up about it but i gotta tell you it, it does wear you out sometimes yeah, well, unless you've been, you're, you're right. Look, unless you've been affected by it, or unless it's affected someone who's close to you, it's funny how you almost have like this willful ignorance about it, and you become almost detached from the reality of how it's affecting those people who have been affected by it. And and again, that that's the challenge, right? That's that's the challenge of keeping everybody kind of on the same page and making sure that everybody understands that. Look. It may not be affecting you today, and you may not feel as though it's affecting you directly, but you don't know if it's affecting you directly because no one knows how this thing is affecting people, you know, as far as people who are symptomatic, asymptomatic. And you may think, hey, I'm fine. I need to get out there and I need to do my thing. But you may be indirectly and unknowingly infecting multitudes of people. And until they get vaccines and get drugs and, you know, and more effective therapeutics, I mean, it's just a very dangerous situation, man. But you know what? I I, I think the thing that I, I know that I myself, Adam, have become a little bit more aware of and kind of really spend more time thinking about is this. When you see the lines of cars a mile, two miles yeah. long at food yep. banks yep. with people sitting in there with families and kids yeah. who were literally hungry and can't eat that's when you and these people are the people who are like look i need to work i like i need to make a decision am i going to starve my family to death or am i going to like go out there and try and get a job or do i have to sit in this food bank line i mean i it's a that's a tough situation and you start thinking about it like this like we see videos of farmers just destroying crops and fields because they can't find enough 
restaurants to buy their stuff. You're sitting there going, this is an American 2020. People should not be sitting in two mile long food banks, man. They should not be sitting there doing that kind of thing. And see, and that's where, again, a, a lot of things need to be organized a lot better as far as handling this entire situation. Cause it seems like we're so helter skelter right now. And, and it's scary for a lot of people. It's scary. It really is. And it's, and it's, there's different levels of awareness and sensitivity about this, depending upon what region you're in. And that, quite honestly, that sucks. It sucks that it's like that. It really does. But that, that's the we're, point. We're very fortunate. Yeah. We, we, meaning you, myself, although we're kind of in this hot zone right here, I said this just to someone recently. We are very fortunate working where we work and still have the ability to do what we do and take care of our families the way we do because there are people right now who every single night they go to sleep and every day they wake up, they go, how do I survive today? Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't you know, like that just a month, two, a month and a half ago. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've taken my daughter on a couple of drive-by play dates and talking to the parents of her friends. You know, you, you, my first thought always is, Okay, how are they doing? You know, you want to make sure health wise everybody's okay. And once you hear that they yeah. are great, but then you say, okay, okay, your business is what? Like you're, you, you have a restaurant. Oh, that's, that's hard, man. Exactly. You, 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 you have insurance that, oh, that's, that's not bad. And, and I just begin to think, okay, how is everybody impacted? Because everybody is impacted. Everybody right. is impacted. Even us right. who we are fortunate to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's very different. It it is. It's it's very different for everyone. Although it's the same for everyone, because the point of the matter is, this, I, I don't really care where you live and whether or not you think that you know the social distancing is is getting a little bit too much or not. The fact of the matter is, this this virus will find you. It doesn't have, as you know, the health experts say, it doesn't have preferences. It doesn't have. It doesn't. It's not. You know, it's not confined by boundaries. It, it, We'll cross state lines in a minute. All it takes is one person take a flight somewhere else to drive across state line. And next thing you know, boom. So those kind of things, that really does for me. Yeah. It has, it has really raised my sense of awareness and really my, my desire to really see things progress as far as, okay, look, we can't, you're right. We can't just sit in the house. So we, what are we doing? What is being done to make sure you can treat the people who do get sick and, and eventually we can all be vaccinated? Like, what is happening? I've seen other players start tweeting about this, too. Like, okay, I get the social distancing thing, and we've done it. We've done it religiously. I mean, we haven't, I mean, we've been in the house washing our hands, wearing masks, the whole thing. But what is, we can't just sit here. What is being done? And let's have, give us some information about what is being done and give us a timetable, whether it's bad or good. Give us a timetable. Because saying like you know, people just saying look, they want to get back out and and get back in society and do things. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, not that, not that, not that. Let me let me just say, my sister, um, her brother-in-law. So my brother-in-law's brother is the head of an infectious disease unit at a hospital here where I live. Right. So yesterday, three oh six, she sent me a text. I'm not gonna. She said, you know, uh, her brother-in-law got. And I'm re- this is exactly read word for word. Got 35 kids admitted last night for right to ICU. He's terrified wow. of this virus and says they cannot make sense of it. Right. And so uh, I'm reading the papers this morning and they're saying how, oh, there are, I think it was like 
I don't know, 50 cases in New York City of kids. Right. And I'm thinking, right. you know, it, 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 as a reporter, I think, okay, this goes to show you that, again, not all precincts are reporting, not all facts are out. You know, I got my sister telling me this of a local hospital that 35 kids were admitted Saturday night. Okay? Right. They can't yeah. figure out what's going on with this virus. And yeah. so it, 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 it just seems like, Every day I wake up, okay, what's the hope today? Like, let's, let's hope there's some breakthrough, remdesivir, some vaccine breakthrough. You're just looking for sure. it. And then I get a text like that and I say, holy crap, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've read some of the same stuff. I read, especially the new, the new information coming out about children and how it's starting to affect children. And it seems like it's, it's presenting different different issues as we continue to move along here like this virus this i mean i i don't want to talk about it in a way that yeah. disrespects anyone or anything because i don't know i'm not a doctor not even close to being one but i mean it just seems like it, this this virus seems to be presenting different symptoms and different challenges for different people and it constantly seems to be morphing and changing and and it seems to be one two three steps ahead of the people who are trying to figure it out and see that when you when you come when you look at that and you compare it to you know, the people who say, look, I need to get back to work. I need to feed my family. I need to pay my you know my mortgage and pay my insurance bills and pay my electric bills. You're just caught in that situation, like for ourselves, where you're sitting here going, well, man, I, I really do see where those people are coming from, but at the same time, we're we're we don't seem to be making any headway on this thing. So. For like myself and my family, and then thinking about my mom and my sisters and all that, I'm going. And there's some. Well, what should we do? It's just like it puts you in a hell of a situation where you're just yeah. like, I, I don't really know what to do. I, I don't. I mean, I guess we just have to keep doing what we're doing until the people who are who are who have those abilities to really make some headway as far as fighting this disease tell us that there's there's something else we can do. Yeah. And that's that's a hell of a situation, Adam, to be in in the year 2020. I, I mean, well, you say in our lifetime, we've never experienced anything yeah. like this. I think, and there's no people who I know alive who've experienced anything like yeah, this, period. I mean, this is, this is weird. I mean, and scary as hell. Yeah. Very disconcerting. Let, let's turn the page a little bit. Cause I don't know that people are turning here to get their COVID updates, but um, sure. <laughs> you've had such an accomplished career, such an accomplished run so far at ESPN. Right. And mm -hmm. you've interviewed for GM jobs. You are mm -hmm. a great analyst. You become a mainstay on the draft. People have mentioned you in connection to Monday Night Football. I guess as I ask you today, in May of 2020, where do you see your career going? What do you want to do with your professional life here, Lou? Well, I, I see it as being one where I have options, and I think that's where we all want to get to at some point in time in our life is where we have options, right? So. Okay, as far as ESPN is concerned, as I've told everybody at ESPN, when I first started working there, I wasn't working there. I didn't come to work there and try to use it as a stepping stone or as a, you know, a relaunching point back into the NFL. I never approached the job that way. And I think, you know, I've been around you enough to, that you know that I've told you this and you've also seen the fact that I don't pull any punches. I don't attack people unnecessarily, but I give very raw honest uh, assessment of how I see the game of football. So I've always been, I've go head first into exactly what we do at ESPN, which is cover the league and analyze the league. And I have wanted to move up and get bigger and bigger assignments and cover bigger and bigger events as time has moved on. And I've been able to do that. And I pretty much have, 
I've excelled at every assignment that I've been given, whether it be starting off on NFL Insiders, moving to NFL Live, getting bigger Sports Center segments, doing SVP, doing NFL matchup, the draft, the Super Bowl, pro, all that stuff. It's all been conquered. It's all been it's all been pretty successful for me, and I'm very grateful to the people who allowed me to continue to grow there. Obviously, my goal ultimately has been to do the very biggest things you could possibly do in broadcasting, and for me as an analyst on air. The biggest thing you could possibly do, I believe, is to call a live game and call it at the very highest level, which is, for us, Monday Night Football, which is, for every analyst, cover cover the Super Bowl at some point in time as an analyst and really do it you know, live as a play is happening because that really challenges you to the maximum as far as your ability to analyze and communicate in real time. That's always been my goal. That still remains my goal. We'll see what happens there. So you want to call a Super Bowl? You want to call a Super Bowl? Absolutely. 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 Look, calling live games, that, that's the closest that I've come to my post-playing career of having that same feeling that I had when I stepped onto the field January 1st, 1995, and we're playing the New England Patriots, and I'm starting in a wild-card playoff game. That's the closest that I've come, calling a live game, to having that same feeling of when I was playing. So we'll see what happens there. As far as going back to the league and being a GM, I've yep. always said this too. The right place comes up, right situation. Of course, I'd be interested in looking at it. Obviously, a, a team like the New York Giants, who I interviewed for, I mean, th- those are legacy franchises that everyone knows. You don't just turn turn down those opportunities to talk to people like John Mayer and Steve Tish and see what if something can you know can come to fruition. If something like that comes down the road, I'll explore it again. There's no question about that. But I'm not actively out there saying. Man, I want to get back to the NFL. Man, I want to get back. I need a job in the NFL. It's not like that. I'm not a I'm not a scout or a pro director who's just hoping, you know, to get an opportunity anywhere and just take any job. It's not like that anymore. So and, I think yeah. that's a good position to be in. But success in life is the ability to say no. And right. so you you have built yourself up at ESPN into a position where it actually would be easy to say no to certain jobs that came along to you in the NFL. And so for you to leave ESPN where you've done an incredible job and you've risen through the ranks and who knows what else the future will bring for you and other golden nuggets, but Mm -hmm. it would have to be a great job. Like you're just not going to leave for an NFL job. No, No. You're in a position right now. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not like that anymore, and that, and that's what I mean. We have my family, and I have the power to make a choice. And I have again, I have been, and I can't emphasize this enough. I have been very straight up with the people at ESPN about the fact that this is not one of these deals where I'm going to come in here and give you vanilla treetop analysis because all I'm really doing is trying to get back to the NFL. I love the NFL. The NFL has been my life since I was. In sixth grade, seventh grade, going to see my brother play for the Bills. So I've been around the NFL since I was in elementary school, junior high. It's given me everything I have in life, every single thing. I've never had a regular job, ever. My life has always been sports, period. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful to the NFL. And, again, to run a team and build a team, of course, I mean, that's something that intrigues me. But it has to be at the right spot because I also know what it's like. I know it's too hard. It's too hard to do in spite of it not being set up the way you need it to be set up with the right support system and the right access to things. It's too hard to do it in spite of that. And you have to do it because it's set up the way you want it set up with the right people. 
And unless it's that kind of situation, then then why would I leave? Why would I leave a job that that pays me more than I ever made in 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 a front office capacity times multiple figures mm-hmm. and have the freedom to do then talk about the things that I want to talk about and have the freedom to not have to worry about am I hurting people's feelings within the building and, you know, kind of playing that political game of making sure that you stay in your lane. I I don't need all that BS. I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. My family's happy doing what we're doing. And that's why we're trying to get to the very highest levels in, in, uh, in the field that we're in right now. So just want to be clear. You're not leaving to become a Peloton instructor, are you? (laughs) No, man, those guys are for real, man. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you what. Look, I'm, I'm I am wiped out when I'm done riding the Peloton. Me too. I'm wiped me out. too. I do. Me too. I did one this morning, and I'm like, Whoa. I sat <laughs> on the bike, looking out the window for about two minutes, thinking we're living through a pandemic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, let me go shower yeah. and let me go get ready for Lewis here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, that, that's no, what I come um, But they're but they're awesome. I mean that that workout. I mean, there's nothing better than that. I'm telling you, it, it's. It has really taken off because the communal aspect of it all, the ability to just talk to people about doing, I mean, people are doing the same workouts you are. So there's like that familiarity, yeah. you kind of, you know, and you get to see your score and you get to see how hard you're working. I mean, it doesn't, whole thing. It doesn't lie to you. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, so yeah. it is what it is. That's why I love it. I love it. Before I let you go, every year you get on the bandwagon and you're behind. Jared Goff, or you're behind Carson Wentz, or you're behind somebody else. Oh, yeah. As we head into the 2020 season that we hope we get, what player, team, who we believe in this year, who's Lugo all in on? Well, team-wise, I'll tell you what. It's two different guys. Team-wise, I I love what Indianapolis is. Okay? I think everybody knows who, you know, leading up to the draft, knows that I am a big, big, big Jonathan Taylor fan. Mm-hmm. And Michael Pittman Jr., I got to see in person out in, in Boulder doing a game for ESPN against Colorado. And I think the combination of those two guys together, seeing how Frank Reich talked about those two guys and how Chris Ballard and him interacted about those two guys, how much they wanted them, I, I just think that team's ready to take off. I, I think they win the South in the AFC, and they are contenders in the AFC. So that, that's my team this year that I'm looking, I'm looking forward to watching and seeing them take a big jump. My guy this year, look, two years ago in the draft down in, in Nashville, you know I'm a big Jared Stidham fan. Yeah. And I think that New England right now is sending a message to the rest of the league, like, hey, look, you guys may think we knew we need um, Andy Dalton, we need Cam Newton, we need Jameis Winston. We think we have who we who we need right now, and I know that Josh and Bill like him and they like the work he's putting in. And I think, like I said, during the draft two years ago, he just needs to be around the right organization with the right support group and be really coached and corrected and developed the right way. And there's no better place to go than New England to get that. The only other places you can go are like New Orleans and Kansas City and Philadelphia. Those are the only other places that a quarterback in L.A. with, with Sean that you can go where you know once you leave there, if you can't succeed, it's on you. It's not because of them. It's on you. And, and Jared found himself in one of those places. That's the guy I'm looking forward to watching this year. And I'm thinking we're going to come out of this year and we're going to go, look, we thought Bill was a good coach already. Damn, is he a good coach? Hmm. We thought Josh McDaniels was a good coach already. Jared Stidham's a stud. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. 
and I'm going to infringe on your personal territory a bit here and ask you to be compromised slightly. But a couple of years ago, you touted Saquon Barkley when he was a rookie. And then in the fantasy <laughs> draft we have of ESPN, 16-team league. I don't remember yeah. who everybody was saying, whether it was like Le'Veon Bell or Zeke Elliott. It was. It was, was Le'Veon. Yeah, everyone everybody was saying was Le'Veon, Le'Veon goes one. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You had first pick and you put your money where your mouth was and took Saquon at a time where his average draft position was like 12, 13, 14, 18, whatever it was. You took him one ahead of all these guys. Who's the guy yeah. you take at one this year if you were there? I don't know, man. I, I, you know what? I need to think about it. I knew, I had a feeling you might ask me something like this. I, I've been kind of thinking about that because I had a down year in the fantasy last year. Yes, I you did. Okay, I, I gotta I gotta make a strong comeback. I'm still doing my research. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll make I'll make a, a guest appearance on your, one of your pods here soon, where I'll give you that, or you I'll tell it to you, and you put it on Twitter or something. Because I've been trust me, Adam, I've been I've been studying my behind off about this because I got embarrassed last year. My team let me down. You know, but well, you had a good team. You had a, you had a good team. Yeah. You had some players that yeah. just didn't come through, got hurt, whatever. Exactly. That's, that's what makes fantasy so tough, Lou. No kidding, no kidding. But I, I'm doing, I'm doing some serious work on that. I'll let you know. I'll let you know because I'll, I'll put it out there. You know me. I'll say it. You know whether it works out or not, yeah. we'll see. But I'll tell you who it is. I'll, just give me a little bit more time on that. Well, that's the one thing you always do is you always tell us like it is. And I appreciate you taking the time today, Lewis. I'll let you get back to your bicycle, to your family, <laughs> uh, to the basketball court, to all the things that you're getting you to go. do in South Jersey. And I really appreciate the time you gave us today. Thank you. Continue to be well. Stay safe. And we will do this again later this summer for your fantasy breakout star. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care of that family, man. I'll see you soon. You too, my friend. And so there is the ESPN analyst, Lewis Riddick, whose future is bright, whatever he decides to do and whatever he winds up doing. Before we get to our second guest, the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer, first a word from State Farm. The great debate, who's the best of the best? Who's the real deal of the NBA? When it comes to home and auto insurance, there's only one real deal. Whatever your opinion may be, there's one thing everyone can agree on. There's nothing realer than a teammate you can rely on. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, the medical director of the NFLPA, Dr. Tom Mayer. Dr. Mayer, how are we doing today? I'm well. It's good to talk to you, Adam. It's always nice to be with you. I appreciate it. You coming on, giving us a little weekly update of where we're at. And there's been more and more talk here about basketball facilities reopening, about when the baseball season will begin from your perspective as the medical director of the NFL Players Association, what is your take on where we're at with sports today, Dr. Mayor? Well, at least for the NFL and the NFLPA, our work continues. Uh, both our NFLPA Emerging Infectious Disease Task Force and the Joint Task Force. I think this is the time, and it's not surprising to me, having been through a lot in disaster medicine and emerging infectious diseases in the past, but this is where the combination of disaster planning and science uh, really comes forward and and the real work gets done. It's a discipline. It requires a lot of discipline. It can be frustrating because every time you get what you think is an answer, four or five more questions pop up that are derivative, directly derivative to the answer that you thought you just had. But that's really when you know that you're getting, you're making progress, you're getting to the right places because it, uh, the more questions there are, the more specifics that have to be dealt with, the more you focus on the discipline. It's like Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not a virtue, but a habit. And in this case, it's the habit of 
a combination of science and what I've always called a watchful heart, uh, thinking of this from the perspective of the people who are going to go through it. So I think we're we're further along. My friend, Dr. Jeff Davidson, who is the medical director for UFC, uh, he and I spoke last night uh, at some length and weren't our wives happy on Mother's Day to have that conversation going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, they, as you know, this is the first uh, event that's occurred in the post-COVID era. Yep. Uh, it went, it's completely different in some ways. There are some similarities, the need for for uh, questionnaires, temperature screening, uh, screening for the virus itself. Uh, the difference, of course, is there are people uh, have their encounter to, uh, two at a time in the octagon and then go their separate ways. And that's going to be a lot different for us where we're going to have 22 men on the field at the same time, 158.5 snaps per game, and then uh, going back to their own communities and presumably doing that again and again and again. How do you get that done in a safe way? Well, I think the key is start, exactly what you said. Start with safe ways. Safe way, not just for the players, although that's obviously who I represent, but safe for the coaches. You know, Adam, if, if I'm worried uh, about a, a, a group, you know, you look at African-Americans, higher incidence. You look at um, uh, high BMI, higher incidence. Uh, sleep apnea, higher incidence. Hmm. So that, you know, 70% of our players are African-American. But uh, a number of the coaches are as well. So it's a it's truly a community of, of risk that we have to think about and think about all the details of how you can um, how you can mitigate this uh, risk of transmission for a virus that lives off of transmission. Dr. Fauci spoke with Peter King on Saturday night and Peter wrote about it on Monday morning in his Monday morning quarterback column. I don't know if you had the chance to read his comments. I didn't. Okay, but my takeaway on that was that he doesn't believe that it's realistic and practical to have fans in stadiums if we're fortunate enough to start the season on time or slightly delayed, but that it's possible later in the season with six feet of social distancing that stadiums could be at a third of capacity, half a capacity, whatever it may be. What are your thoughts today on May 11th, Dr. Mayor? As the idea of fans in the stands this season? Well, first of all, as you know, the, the, the work of the combined task force is confidential, but, uh, and I'm not telling you anything that's confidential. I'm telling you my opinion. I will tell you that there has been, that task force has had no discussion of fans in the stands. Hmm. The focus has been on uh, the players and the essential people and getting that piece right, because obviously, you know, can't have fans in the stands. Unless you have players on the field right? and yeah. coaches on the field and all those issues. I mean, you know, it sounds like it's a tautology, but it's, it's just absolutely true. So but you asked me my opinion, and I'll give you my opinion. And that is that um, the same discipline uh, of science, the same discipline of a watchful heart, uh, protecting the fans from themselves. I have players say to me all the time, Doc, you got to protect me from myself. You got to protect us from ourselves, whether that's concussion or uh, pandemics or other issues that uh, put their health and safety at risk. And so when you think about the fans, uh, you would say, what would have to be true? I always ask myself that. What would have to be true? And then you follow up with what, whatever the statement is. What would have to be true to have fans in the stands? You know, um, are we going to have a vaccine by then? Of course not. Uh, 12 months to 18 months. We've talked about that before. Uh, the you'd have to maintain social distancing. 
you would probably have to do some form of temperature screening so that people with fevers, not everyone of which would have a fever, would have uh, coronavirus, of course. But that's a screening uh, level to be able to say. Uh, in Now, they did not have fans at, at UFC, but Jeff put a very thoughtful questionnaire together in terms of, you know, have you had symptoms? Have you lost your sense of smell? All that kind of stuff. Would you do that with fans? Well, it could be done. Um, I don't know. Again, I didn't uh, either hear the interview or, or read Peter's column this morning. Please don't tell Peter I didn't read his column this That's morning. Okay. That's okay. Um, no, no offense taken. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you maintain social distancing, uh, can't do that in the, in the, if you fill every seat. You might not be able to do it. Uh, I haven't done the measurement. I haven't been to a stadium, but could be every third seat. And what does that mean? Well, it means a very complex calculus of how you'd be able to uh, look at, at uh, you know, this, this ticket block, these four seats, get uh, four seats in game one and don't get seats until whatever the math is, the game five or six, whatever it might be. Uh, so, you know, just thinking as a human being, as a scientist, I can see how, and I don't put myself in Tony Fauci's league, although uh, I've met Tony several times. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd want to protect them from themselves. You'd probably want to, um, you know, you'd have to space. I don't know what the beer lines in the re- lines in the restroom would be an interesting challenge in and of themselves. How do you police that? Um, truly police that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just very, uh, reluctant to say that's impossible because in my life I haven't found that to be true of too many things. Yeah, you know, I was talking earlier with Lewis Riddick, the ESPN analyst on this podcast, and I think what's interesting to me, what strikes me, Dr. Mayer, is the fact that I live in New York, and so I'm viewing this virus through a certain lens. And I don't know the people, my friends in Texas or Colorado or Arizona or Nevada or places elsewhere in the country and other NFL cities are viewing the virus the same way that we're living it in New York. And I wonder how that impacts the season and what your perspective on that might be. Oh, I, I think that's exactly the way to look at it. I mean, I we've talked a little bit about this before, but um, I wake up every morning and check the numbers in terms of the number of new cases. Uh, yeah, worldwide, sure, but, but U.S., and the number of new deaths um, worldwide, but U.S. But then, mm-hmm. then I drilled down to the 30 NFL cities, two in New York and two in, in uh, L.A., and, and you start to look at, at those specific communities and find out what the rate of transmission is within those communities. And, and I think you have to look at it that way. And if you look at uh, either the absolute number, uh, Reuters has a very good site that looks at the per 100,000 population rates of both uh, uh, cases and of deaths. And that's very helpful because it's, you know, the New York, New Jersey area in, in deaths alone is in, in triple digits, slightly over 100 for both of those jurisdictions. And many other NFL cities, not only is it in double digits, but in some cases it's single digits per right. 100,000. Those diseases, that's a different disease pattern to different COVID-19, same virus, completely the same virus, but a different pattern of transmission, different pattern of risk, different pattern for the players who reside in those communities. So I think you have to drill down that tightly uh, because it's, you've seen one of these, you've seen one of these. So how does that impact the season? In other words, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but could we be 
in a situation where we're not going to see games in New York, where the teams in New York are going elsewhere to train, play. Again, my imagination is running wild here, but we're talking about the difference in the rates in New York, New Jersey, and California compared to other areas. Yeah, I think um, that, I mean, I'll retreat to what I just said. If you've seen one of these, you've seen one of these. It's going to be different for every club. It's going to be different for every locale in which they exist because presumably once the club facilities open, the players will return to that community, uh, whether it's New York or New Jersey or New Orleans, uh, some of the hot spots or other places where it's, it's uh, a much quieter, uh, I shouldn't say quieter, it's much less transmission for 100,000 than in other places. Uh, it's entirely possible that, uh, I, well, I would expect that we'll come out with a uh, plan that says this is how we think is the safest way for t- Protect the player. Risk mitigation, not risk elimination. That's just not uh, possible to completely eliminate this risk, which I suspect Tony Fauci talked about. Uh, so how do you mitigate it as much as you can? Some clubs will look at that and say, you know what, let's go somewhere else to do our training. And some may well say, let's go somewhere else to play our games, depending upon um, what they perceive to be the risk to the players. And I would say this, the risk to the players is the risk to the NFL season. Because, you know, if we start playing games and and we start popping five, ten players per game that uh, have had the virus transmitted as a result of the process. And when I say the process, of course, I mean not just getting out on the field and playing 158.5 snaps, but the process of traveling there, getting there. Uh, staying in a hotel for the visiting club. Most clubs, as you know, stay in the hotel the night before a game, even when they're the home team. You know, the post-game locker rooms, proximity, visitors' locker rooms are certainly not as – I mean, some of the NFL locker rooms are zip codes. They're so big at the home club, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly not for the visitors. It's a completely different uh, locker room situation when you're on the road. So uh, that's – it's a complex – really complex calculus. And that's why I say every time you get an answer, you think, okay, that just gave me four or five more questions that um, that unless we can answer those effectively, we won't be able to move forward. And uh, I, I just don't think it's impossible. I, I've said that all along, as you know. And I appreciate that. And I love that. And we want to have that hope. We need to have that hope. But in listening to your answer there, I guess what I would say is even if the season were to go off, whether that's September, October, November, whenever it begins, it sounds to me with all the obstacles that are there as if the season would be fragile, even if it got underway. That's the way that's my interpretation of what you just said there, because, again, if there are a block of players that get the virus and have to be quarantined, if a team can't play a game, if a stadium has... I don't, I don't know, some sort of little outbreak in the locker room, the stands. If there are, I mean, there's so many little things here that are going to transform the way a game day experience unfolds, is conducted. It's just hard to wrap your mind around how different everything is going to be. Well, you know, welcome to our world, meaning not my world and, and my counterparts on the task force. But your world as as uh, one of the premier uh, journalists in NFL football, because that that's precisely what ha- it's almost mind boggling to think through all the permutations 
what happens if there's an outbreak at one club? Does that shut the whole NFL down? Uh, how do we account for people that do test positive and will have to be quarantined for 14 days? And what does that mean for roster exemptions? What does that mean for practice squads, uh, signing new players? And it, you know, it goes on and on and on. And, uh, that's why we're spending 12 to 16 hours a day doing literally nothing else but thinking through what would have to be true well, for this to, uh, to happen. So you're doing this all that that's your job basically every day. I mean, in addition to being the medical director of the national, the NFL players Association, you're going through all these scenarios and permutations and trying to come up with solutions and answers to some of the questions that may arise during what we hope is the 2020 season. Is that correct? Dr. Mayor? Absolutely. But, but it's not alone. I mean, we've got this great, uh, emerging infectious disease task force. I've got D and JC Tretter who I've said before, but the two best bosses you could have because their their dictum is you know follow the science wherever it goes and nowhere it doesn't and think of whole player whole life uh whole family and uh you know uh health and safety are non-negotiable so i don't have to guess about which which general direction to go i know what the guardrails are and the guardrails are not keeping me from anything other than than focusing on those three areas so it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's easy work, but it's the work I was born for. I mean, this is what I was trained for. Being that it's the work you were born for and being that it's the work you're trained for and being that you're in these meetings basically around the clock, before I let you go this week until we meet again next week, give us something that provided you hope over the last week or so that makes us think that we're on track to get sports back, get football back, stave off this virus. Limit this virus, help the sick. Give me something that's hopeful, doctor. Well, I, you know, we're big on, uh, you and I both are big on historical uh, analogies. And, and uh, Patton and Eisenhower, uh, two great World War II generals with completely different personalities, but very, very close friends. And Patton used to say, plans dissolve with the first contact in battle. And his friend and colleague and eventually boss, uh, General Eisenhower said, plans are nothing, but planning is everything. And so I think the planning, it, it makes me more and more optimistic. And then hook that to join that with the uh, advances in testing, not just up to today, but the very clear implications that a month from now, even more effective, even more sensitive testing, uh, fewer false negatives, and and broader testing, including saliva, so that you didn't don't have to draw blood, you don't have to do a nasopharyngeal swab. And look, testing isn't going to change uh, the transmission of the virus, but it's going to allow us to determine when it occurs and who's at risk. So I think that combination of things, understanding the historical perspective that planning is everything, yep. uh, but that plans will dissolve when, with the first contact of battle, and uh, and that one of our uh, best supply lines is in more accurate, more available uh, testing, which helps us uh, as best we can mitigate the risk for our players. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed there, Dr. Mayor. I really appreciate you always taking your time. You're very generous. You're very insightful, and we appreciate it, and we will look forward to doing it again. As I will, too. Thanks, Adam. And so there he is, the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer, and we have him on every week because Obviously, this is such a significant issue and it is so important to 
not only everyday life and all the people around us, livelihoods, livings, but also whether there'll be football for this coming season. And Dr. Mayer will be directly involved in the decisions of how and if the games will go on. And so we feel like it's worth it every week to hear what he has to say and where we're at at that particular time in our society to answer some of our questions. You also have some of your questions, and that's why we will get to them in this week's Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. And so it's that time again for your questions, and for that we bring in my great producer, Christina Buswell. Christina, hope you're doing well, hope you're safe, and hope that you have some fun little questions for us to go over. I am, Adam. Thank you so much. Following off of the pandemic talk that we've talked about with Lewis, that we talked about with Dr. Mayer, Kyle on Twitter wants to know, Adam, what kind of impact do you think this pandemic is having on players in terms of being able to train for the upcoming season? Do you think this will then trickle into the season and we'll see that some of the guys maybe aren't at their best? Kyle, it's a great question. And I don't think it's one that we can answer because we really haven't seen anything like this. Maybe the lockout where players were on their own, they weren't in facilities, and then had to come back in shape. But even then, during a lockout, players could go to gyms, uh, be around trainers. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that players aren't around trainers these days. I'm sure they are. But technically, particularly here on the East Coast, people should be home and sheltering in place. And to go back to what Lewis and I talked about, maybe Peloton is the best way of going about your exercise or doing some sort of home workout. I don't know if and how everybody is or isn't staying in shape. I don't know what kind of condition they'll be in if and when there is training camp. And because of that, it's conceivable that we might get more muscle strains, um, ligament injuries, soft tissue injuries, if and when camp does get underway, just because it's been such an irregular off-season. But you know what? I think coaches... We'll also account for that. If and when training camp does get underway, Kyle, I don't think they're just going to be like, let's get right into this, you know, with a regular practice, full speed, football activity. I think that everybody is going to have to adjust to it to ramp back up to get these players in shape. But it'll be one of the great questions. And I hope we get to answer that with training camps later this summer, Kyle. You know, this has been such a unique situation for everybody. Dan on Twitter wants to know, Adam, I noticed that you actually got your hair cut at home. How hmm. did it turn out? I'm too nervous to let my wife <laughs> cut my hair, but I saw that you finally gave in and cut yours. Take me through that experience. Well, it's the backyard barber, uh, Dan. And what I would say is, no, I, I, I didn't get my full hair cut, but I had my son come outside and it's about the second or third time that he's done it. And he's just basically taken... I don't know, a, a number six razor or number six clippers, whatever we call that, and rubbed it over my sides because my sides were puffing out to make me look like one of the founding fathers of our country. Like, it, it just, it was too much. And so my hair has not been cut since Friday, March 13th. That was the last time it got cut. But I have had my son, uh, who's now my backyard barber, trim up the sides of my hair uh, a couple of different times here just because it's getting way too bushy and puffy. Uh, and so it, it worked out fine. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. I'm at the point where honestly, what am I going to say? Uh, my hair is a little bit out of control. Life is out of control. Everything's out of control. 
Uh, that's the least of my worries right now, but I wouldn't expect him to cut it uh, and, and do a full-on cut, but he just kind of trimmed it up, and, and it worked out just fine. It worked out just fine. Well, I would say it worked out just fine. I am particularly jealous because I feel as though males have it far easier in terms of cutting their hair as us females with coloring our hair and all, all that stuff. So. I've seen people on TV, Christina, coloring their hair, like going through coloring lessons and, and, and taking it upon themselves to color their hair. I've seen that on TV. You can do that. You, I guarantee I, I if you... I commend all of those people because I do not have that creative energy inside of me to be able to do something that well. I don't think it's creative. I just think it's just follow the steps. Although, look, they're follow the steps for cutting your own hair, and I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> well, one last question to wrap this up. Sammy wants to know, Adam, I noticed on your Instagram story the other night you were watching Bridesmaids. Yeah. And I have to say it made me laugh knowing that you like that movie too. My question is, since you are consumed by football 24-7, what is your favorite TV show or movie not sports related? Well, that's easy, Sammy. Um, I, my favorite movie of all time is Shawshank Redemption. I, I just love that movie. I think it's incredible. Timothy Robbins, Morgan Freeman, the story that Stephen King wrote. Just, I mean, it's just, there are certain movies that when you're kind of channel surfing and you stumble across them, you can't get off them. Shawshank Redemption would be in that category. And I'll tell you another movie that's in that category that we wind up watching about five or six times with my daughter the last two months. And oddly enough, we picked it up at about the same midway point each time until one time recently she started it from the beginning and got to watch it. And that was Forrest Gump. And that would be up there too. Now there are some sports scenes in there. So maybe you could consider Forrest Gump something of a sports movie being that he played at Alabama. But Shawshank Redemption, number one, Forrest Gump, not that far behind. Those would be some movies that I've loved watching. Bridesmaids, it's just that one scene where they go into the bridal shop, Christina. Uh, you know, my wife is a creature of habit, so she watches like the same movies and over, and she laments the fact that there aren't these great, funny, feel-good, romantic movies. Like, she's watched The Holiday about 164 times. <laughs> great movie. She's watched... Bridget Jones Diary 96 times she's watched Bridemaid 79 times she watches the same things over and over and over again okay and so Bridesmaids we watched we were again surfing through the channels it came on and that one scene you, you can just watch it over and over and over actually I just looked up my wife is looking at me staring at me like listening to her honey what are the what are the movies that are on our list what's that Crazy? Oh yeah, oh yeah! I forgot the one that we always watch, Christina. Oh my God, the number one movie in our house. I forgot. Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. You've ever seen that? I just, I just recently watched that movie. It's a great one. It's a great feel-good story. It, it might be my wife and daughter's favorite movie. They love that. Big Henry Golding fans. We've watched that probably how many times? We can say, honey, thirty-four times, maybe. Maybe any yeah anything to avoid the coronavirus. And she she's also <laughs> saying heartburn, which um, <laughs> there's a great story behind that. This is an all time story if I could share it right now. Of course. So we were on our honeymoon, and we went for a four day honeymoon uh, to Nantucket. And so while we were there, my wife and I watched one movie and one movie only, and that was heartburn the movie that Nora Ephron wrote. And it's about Carl Bernstein 
cheating on his wife, nor Ephraim, <laughs> while she's pregnant. Okay? And so, at that time, my wife owned her home, and I owned a home in Denver. And when I sold the home in Denver, I took that money, and we bought a house out together, small little house in Sag Harbor, in this little cul-de-sac in Sag Harbor on the island. So, we, we only kept that house for about a year. It was just too much. Like, two houses, just... It was just too much to maintain in every which way, uh, physically, emotionally, financially. It was just too much. But in the one year we had the house, we go on our honeymoon. We come back on our honeymoon on a Thursday night. And we go to spend our very first day at our house in Sag Harbor that we bought like a week or two before that, the next morning. And my wife had arranged for all these deliveries of like furniture and little things like that. And so... Um, at about nine in the morning, the, the deliveries are coming, and uh, all of a sudden there's a knock on our door, the doorbell, and I open up the door, and there's a guy at our front door, and he goes, uh, "Hi, I'm your neighbor, Carl Bernstein," and I go, "The Carl Bernstein?" and he said, "I guess," and he was not happy that we had these deliveries that were starting early in the morning. But I was thinking, we just saw you on the movie on our honeymoon <laughs> that we just got back from with you cheating on your wife. Like, that's unbelievable. And now you're our neighbor in Sag Harbor. It was incredible. So, I mean, that, that that's kind of a small world little story where we're on our honeymoon watching the story of Carl Bernstein and Nora Ephron. And then literally the next morning, he's ringing our doorbell to complain about the number of deliveries that we have coming towards a quiet cul-de-sac in Sag Harbor, which is one reason that after a year we sold the house and got out of there. What a crazy coincidence. Yeah, it is kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, Christina, thank you for the questions. Thank you to the listeners for another round of Ask Adam questions. Thank you to Dr. Tom Mayer, the medical director of the NFL Players Association, for joining us. And thank you to my friend, Louis Riddick, the great ESPN analyst, uh, who's done tremendous work at ESPN. Uh, please join us again next week for another Adam Schefter podcast. And until then, be well and stay safe.